Hey friend, welcome to Java with Julie, hosted by me, Julie Slattery. This podcast is a listener-supported outreach of a ministry called Authentic Intimacy, and our mission is to help people reclaim God's design for sexuality in their own journey. Well, we're continuing our seven-week series on various themes around God, sex, and intimacy. These are the seven things that people come to our ministry really looking for help on. And this week, we're tackling what it is to disciple the next generation, whether you are in parenting mode or grandparenting, or you just have a heart for young people and youth in our world today. Well, today's episode is a re-release of a conversation I recorded a few years ago with Hannah Nitz. And friend, chances are that the world you are raising kids in right now is very different from the world that you grew up in. And more likely than not, even when you were growing up, the conversation or conversations you had with your parents about sex were still somewhat deficient when it came to equipping you with the knowledge you needed to make sense of the sexual questions you might have been struggling with. Well, in this special bonus episode, Hannah and I discuss the need for parents to move away from a talk model and really think more about discipleship. We need to talk about why and how to integrate what we believe about God into conversations about sexuality. So this might be a very different approach to sexuality and parenting than you've ever heard, and I hope it's a challenge for you. Let's head to the coffee shop for my conversation with Hannah. Well, thanks for chilling with me again today, Another Hannah. day with Julie and Hannah. <laughs> yeah. Just me and you. So exciting. It's awesome. I'm into yeah. it. So, my soul, like, it kind of feels like a vibrating feeling when I get to spend time with you. It's because Does your soul vibrate. Is that just? It's me? because of the coffee, the coffee <laughs> and the Julie. It just combines for this internal glow. Oh, I'm into it, into it, and I'm particularly excited about this topic. Yeah, this is a topic that you all have asked me <laughs> to address so many for times. Five years, you guys I have been know. asking, and I've said no, nope, not ready. And now you think you're ready? I don't know if I'm ready. I just think it's... <laughs> it's time. I've, I've always said when I teach on sexual discipleship, we have to be willing to do things poorly before we can learn to do them well. And, and that's what you're about to do yeah, here? Yeah. I, I think I've got to take that advice myself. And some things are really hard to talk about. But if we don't learn to talk about them, even before we know how to do it perfectly, we never learn. And Java with Julie listeners everywhere rejoice. Parenting and sexuality. Yeah. We're doing it. We are. Parenting and sexual discipleship. So you've been asked a million questions mm -hmm. because you have three boys. Yeah. I don't think I've only been asked a million questions because I have three boys. <laughs> I've been asked a million questions yes. because you all have kids. Yes. And yes. you're like... I love what I'm learning. It's helping my marriage. It's helping me understand this piece of humanity. But I have no clue how to begin teaching my kids this. So please help. Please write a book. Yes. And honestly, Julie, I think a lot of the questions we would get even started with this question. Yes. And people wouldn't say, how do I do this in my marriage? Or what does sexuality look like in my own heart? A lot of time, things that brought people to authentic intimacy or yeah. sending you in questions is help. Right. Like I have a five year old who has is touching himself. I have mm -hmm. an eight year old who's asking questions on this. I have a teenager who's doing X, Y, and Z with a girlfriend. Like the questions 
mm-hmm. have been coming in hot. Yeah, they have. <laughs> There's I, been a I lot. mean, if we start doing events on sexually discipling your kids. Oh, it's would out. Yeah, we would. And we could do that. Maybe we will at some point. But I've really hesitated to dive into these waters. So why have you hesitated? Well, I think a couple of reasons. First of all, my kids are still cooking. <laughs> <laughs> not not pregnant, not literally, but no, uh, cooking, yes, growing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the main reason why is because there is no system. There's no formula. It's just flat out messy. Mm. And when you think of a parenting seminar and your expectations or a parenting book, you really want the seven steps to fixing my kid. Oh, I was going to say three steps. (laughs) (laughs) I want it even briefer than that. And you know, the parenting books that sell like crazy are the ones that make those sort of promises. You know, like I I think of one, have a new kid by Friday, you know, like just catchy titles. Sign me up. Yeah, that's what I want. Like all you've got to do is these things and your problems are solved. And we all want that. But this conversation is so complicated and so messy. The journey is so messy that I hesitate to say, hey, if you spend 50 bucks and spend a day with me, I'll help you figure all this out. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So you've hesitated for a while, but here we are. Yeah. I have a two-year-old, so yeah. this feels far away. Mm-hmm. But I do see the impending horizon of like, okay, as soon as this kid's starting to talk, some of this is going to, you know, yeah, it comes up. It happens. Mm-hmm. You kind of on this other side of having teenagers and kid in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do we even what is like the groundwork? Where do we even start for a conversation on sexual discipleship and parenting? Well, I think if uh, there's not seven easy steps. Yeah. How about like seven hard problems? Can we do that? Seven, we can do that. Seven difficult problems to sexual discipleship. That book wouldn't sell as well. No, it wouldn't, but it'd be more honest. Yeah. And I think that's where we start, is with being honest. I can't tell you the heart-wrenching emails and text messages that we get at Authentic Missy. And you know that, Hannah. You've seen them. But... I just read one this morning of a mom who has a transgender son, 20 years old, and the email was very long, just describing the heart-wrenching journey of what do we do, how do we love, what do we do with relatives that are trying to just shove the Bible down his throat, all this stuff, what, what do we call him or her or they, that's real life. And that's just an email I read this morning. We get them every single day of um, kids addicted to pornography and, you know, kids just hooking up and going to youth group the next day and committed Christian kids wondering, you know, doesn't God approve of gay marriage? And I could go on and on and on. So I think that's where we start is just by being honest with the fact that We live in a culture right now that has sexuality so messed up and it's getting worse every day. And And the kids are growing up in that. Yeah. Feeling even more confused. Yeah. When I think of your little guy and the challenges of never knowing life when male and female were just accepted Mm -hmm. and what it's going to be like to go to school and Sunday school and to live in, in a culture that has completely different assumptions of even something as simple as male and female that impacts you that impacts how you think 
and we're now seeing kids that have never grown up without a smartphone and were introduced to pornography and that was normalized at a very young age. There's so many examples of this. But for us to compare parenting today to what parenting was 20 years ago, or even more so when we were kids, how we were raised, you just can't do it. We're dealing with a new reality. And And that's exactly what you're saying, the starting spot of Mm -hmm. being that honest with that. Yeah. Because I think oftentimes what I've experienced in my very short two years as a parent, Caleb and I, by default, kind of do how we were raised Mm -hmm. or what we remember. And when it comes to areas of sexuality, I mean, you're essentially starting by saying you can't just repeat what's been done. Because the world is different in sexuality. Yeah. And that's not just some hyped fear-mongling thing. That's just, that's truth. That's reality. Yeah, it totally is. So we're starting with bad news. Yes. (laughs) And there's more bad news. It's just uh, seven bad things. (laughs) Yeah, we admit that. And and I, you know, I think there are some parents right now that are going, give me some hope. But there are other parents that are just saying, thank you for saying that. Thank you for meeting me in my reality, because there's no book that has solved this for me. Correct. And it's just a constant heartache every day of how do I walk this out? Julie, I think of that even how sexuality was presented and talked about like we had this weekend with my parents and my mom took me and we had this curriculum we went through I mean I would be so interested to look at that curriculum now (laughs) do you know what I mean as you're talking about how different things are yeah in that 30 year time Mm -hmm. how much has shifted yeah exactly so here's where it starts Hannah it starts with realizing that sexuality comes out of a worldview And this is a big part of what we do with sexual discipleship is recognizing that you can't just take sex as a special topic and teach on it and go through the weekend course and say, save yourself for marriage and God designed sex for marriage and it's good and stay away from the bad stuff. It's not a one-time event with our kids. No. Or once they reach a certain age, then we will be able to start talking about it. Yeah. That presentation of sex does not fit your child's worldview because your child's worldview growing up in today's culture is about self-fulfillment and about self-actualization. How do I find happiness? Personal freedom and freedom of expression is the highest good. And a lot of that is super personal too. Like what is your identity what is your personal freedom and what is your view of god and what is your truth and what is moral for you even if your children are being raised in a christian home they're being raised in a society that has a humanistic individualistic post-christian worldview and so if you try to take this christian message about sexuality and paste it on top of this humanistic worldview it doesn't make any sense. It feels like the Bible's irrelevant. It feels like God can't be a loving God if he would give us these kinds of rules. And we were raised, by and large, in a worldview that at least at some level had this sense of we have a creator, uh, we're accountable to someone, there is an absolute standard of right and wrong. And so that kind of teaching on sex, even if it wasn't 
100% effective, it kind of fit. Hmm. It kind of fit the bigger story. Wow, that's such an interesting way to think of it. Like, not only is the conversation around sexuality different, but even just the basic structure of, I don't even know what you'd say, culture? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so sexual discipleship sees this topic as not a topic, but as the outgrowth of what do you believe about everything? Hmm. And presenting to your children over time a larger view of this is how the world understands life. The Bible is radically different, and Christ turns everything on its head. And following him means we don't live the way the world does. We don't think the way the world does in every area, including sexuality. Wow. So when you have that conversation or that understanding or that approach with your kids, it makes sexuality one of many topics right. you address in that context mm-hmm. and not just this one time No, Exactly. Topic. In essence, it should be coming up all the time, not just are you looking at porn type thing, but why does male and female matter? And why would God say this person can't do that? And why are you judging this person? And it's part of this larger conversation of a clash of two opposing worldviews. And so the starting place is recognizing that you most likely speak a different language than your child speaks in terms of worldview. And if you use your language to try to convince them that this is God's design for sexuality, It'll never work because you're not even speaking the same language. Which you begin to understand why there's so many questions around this. Yes. And why parents feel so overwhelmed by it. Yes. Because what you're describing is very very difficult. It is difficult. I mean, you're essentially saying this is a whole giant worldview, life-shifting conversation. Yeah. And I'll say it's not only a worldview, (laughs) life-changing conversation. Yes. (laughs) As far as the world goes, but it also pushes on all the simplistic ways that we've presented the gospel and Jesus. Tell me more. Okay. So the ways that we often present what it is to be a Christian, and you know this, Hannah, we've had many conversations about this, but it's very rule-based. It's very much like You come to Christ, he cleans up your life, you don't have any problems anymore, and you got to act this way. And so you apply that to sexuality, and it's like, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be looking at porn, you shouldn't be hooking up, you shouldn't have those kinds of desires, you shouldn't be going along with the gay pride movement. And we've got all these rules that this is what it means to be a Christian. So uh, people that genuinely want to follow Christ, let's say you have a teenager that genuinely wants to follow Christ. First of all, that young man or woman is dealing with what does it look like to love like Jesus loves in a culture that accepts everything. So they're dealing with that. But realistically, they're also dealing with, I'm struggling sexually and I'm looking at porn and I've got lust issues or... I think I might be bisexual. And so I'm hearing from the church that I can't be a Christian and have those kinds of struggles. And so now it becomes even more complicated with, I don't know who I am anymore. Does God love me? Should I tell my parents? Will they reject me? So I'm starting to get the sense (laughs) we're not going to answer this question in one episode. So (laughs) 
<laughs> Am I making it worse? Well, I you see why I don't want to talk about this. I understand. I'm starting to see, Julie, how there's so many levels, even just to the problem. Yes. Like, even just to the issues around sexuality for our kids. Yes. Yeah. Wow. It's enormous. It's Which makes it hard when someone emails you a question and is like, my son is looking at porn. What yeah. do I do? Yeah. You're like, well, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of pieces. No, I can help with it and I can give some direction, but it begins with acknowledging these truths. Right. Acknowledging the truth of the tension with culture and acknowledging the tension with how we understand Christianity and how we understand what a Christian is supposed to live like. Mm. I have three sons. It is messy. It is different with each of my three sons because they're different people. They have a different relationship with the Lord. They walk through different things. Not that I would ever do this, but I couldn't even write a book that involved the three of them because it's so unique to their journeys. And so when I think about how would I teach on parenting and sexual discipleship, it's like nailing jello to a wall. Mm. <laughs> it's like it what is it? How do I describe it? Because I know it's real and I know it's a pursuit, but it is so messy. Which feels like good news and bad news. I'll be honest. That feels like bad news. Okay. <laughs> because on one level, you're right. That's why the books with the three or seven simple steps sell better because people want the solution. Bad news. But the good news is if I had to, like, if I had this talk with God and God was like, Hannah, you can choose anyone on the planet who will help you figure out sexuality with your kids. Like, dis like discuss it, learn it. Who would be the best at that? I would be like, Dr. Julie Slatter. Like, I would choose you out of millions of people. So I think to even hear for you to say, as, I'm sorry, I'm going to label you this, but the expert of sexuality and loving Jesus for you to even say like it's like nailing jello to a wall that's good news in that I don't know it's it's like we're all in it together mm -hmm. in a way you know yeah. yeah yeah I get that it's like okay maybe I don't feel so bad if five struggles if yeah if Julie's having struggles <laughs> no I'm serious <laughs> I think that's true yeah Well, friend, let me jump in just for a minute. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This episode was pulled from our Java with Julie archive, a complete archive of every single Java with Julie episode we've recorded. Now, access to the archive is one of the many perks of joining the Authentic Intimacy member community, which is a community made up of everyday women and men just seeking to make sense of God and sex in our often complicated world. In addition to access to the Java with Julie archive, members also receive discounts on online book studies, exclusive access to webinars, and also get the opportunity to join me for Second Cup, our monthly Zoom deep dive on recent Java with Julie episodes. And there are so many more benefits I haven't talked about. So if you want to learn more about becoming a member, go to AuthenticIntimacy.com slash member. All right, back to my conversation with Hannah. It's humbling, Hannah. It's, you know, like I've, I've read all the books. I've written some of the books. I interview all the experts and there's nothing to figure out. There's no formula. And, you know, I think the crux of it is 
discipleship is the change that Jesus makes in a life. Hmm. And yes, our kids need instruction. Yes, they need discipline. Yes, they need to be taught. But for them to truly surrender their sexuality to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not my work. It is between them and the Lord. A lot of parents aren't going to love to hear that. No, I don't love to hear that. I wish it were my work. (laughs) (laughs) If it were my work, we would have a structure, it would be organized, and it would be successful. Well, you know, my kids are at the age, right now the youngest is 17, the oldest is 23. So I'm in this stage now where... I'm more mentoring, more shepherding, but I'm not actively parenting as yeah, much. You're not cutting up their food. Mm, no, and let's hope not. Making sure they get in bed at the right yeah. time. And there's so many times where I just feel like, God, why can't I give them what's in me? Hmm. Like, why can't I give them my love for you, my love for your word, all the things you've taught me? Like, Sometimes I feel like, why can't I sit them down just like I teach the AI audience and make them listen? And every parent that's listening right now is going to resonate with that if your kids are old enough because you can't change their hearts. You can't give them what they most need, which is... Yeah, but when they're little, you start to believe the illusion that you can. Yeah. Because like right now, like this morning, Caleb, I was dropping Harvey off. Caleb put Harvey in the car for me as I'm in the driver's seat. And Caleb said to me something like, are you so excited? Or to Harvey, are you so excited to go to grandma's house? Like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. And Harvey, for the first time ever, goes, "Mm mm-hmm. Like, he copied Caleb. Exactly. Yeah. And when they're so little and you watch them mimic everything you're doing and you sit down a certain way and eat their food and all of a sudden they sit down a certain way and eat your food. Like, I think I'm kind of living in that illusion, Julie, with a two-year-old. Like, (laughs) this child... (laughs) will do as I do and will think as I think. Yeah. Which apparently is not true. Well, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit true. Yeah. Um, until they hit teenage years. Yeah. <laughs> and, then they, and then they push against that. Right. Um, but when they're young, they do mimic you. And that's good news and bad news because they mimic the good and the bad. Yeah. And they are learning. They're like sponges. And so I'm not saying that the things we teach them or the things we model for them don't have tremendous impact. But because, the heart right. issue, the yes. heart motivation. Yes. You can't. No. And when we talk about what it is, even as adults, to surrender our sexuality to the Lord, it is a massive spiritual battle that requires the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we can train our kids in a way that they... They follow certain rules that they know this is right and this is wrong. I mean, we can, when they're young, begin teaching them those sort of things. And hopefully they'll live by those sort of things. But the transformation of a life can only be done by the work of the Holy Spirit and the convicting of God. You know what's funny, Julie? I've never had this thought until sitting here, which is normal because you ask hard questions and think deep things, is I've never talked with someone who loves the Lord like crazy and is one of those people who is like so far ahead of me with their faith that I just want to learn everything about them like from them like how are you interacting with God what are you doing like I want to you know what I mean be discipled by them and when I ask them tell me about your relationship with God or tell me when a lot of this started to click for you I've never had someone say well that's what my parents believed Mm. and so it's just 
not what I believe. Wow. I've never heard that. You're right. It's always this personal thing between Mm -hmm. them and God. Yes, a lot of them may have grown up in a Christian home. Like, that's my story, Julie. That's yours, too. But when someone asks us about our relationship with God and our love for him, we don't talk about our parents. No. It begins there. Yeah. And then you hit a crisis. It's called the teen years. (laughs) And then uh, you continue to hit more crises. But for some reason, as a parent, we don't necessarily think that. We're like... Yeah, you're right. No, I'm... I'm in charge, but yeah. And if it goes wrong, I did something wrong. If it goes right, I did something right. So what do we do about that when it comes to sexuality with our kids? Well, I'll give you a couple guideposts. Tell me about that. And again, I'm not going to say this is a formula. I like that you're not saying there's <laughs> steps you're saying. Yes, I don't know what to call them. <laughs> Guideposts. Like I, I said, love it. Like I said, I'm doing this poorly so that someday I can do it well. <laughs> Tell me about your guideposts, Julie. Well, I've said a few of them already. I think telling the truth is important. Like just being honest with the reality that we're facing and even the fears that we have. Uh, being of, honest <clears throat> with your kids? Nope. Being honest with, with yourself, yourself. Okay. and with the Lord, okay. and I think even with your community. Yeah. Let's tell the truth. Let's not pretend that this is easy or yeah. my kid's still waiting for marriage. How about yours? Like those conversations just are not helpful today. They put on shame, they put on guilt. You know, the research shows that about 10 to 15% of parents of teens actually know what their teens are doing sexually. Stop it. Yeah. 10%? Yes, 10 to 15%. Wow. Okay. And so uh, most I of us... I thought you were giving us good news. No. I, so <laughs> Give us the good guy yes. Okay. So first of all, we're going to... We got to... We you gotta, don't know anything. <laughs> so first of all, we've got to be honest and yeah. know the truth. Um, second of all, we've talked about understanding that this is more of a worldview. It's a spiritual battle. This, this is not... picture. This is not just getting information into your kid. Right. This is walking with them and challenging them about what the Bible says about who God is versus what our culture believes and what's being shoved down their throats. So it's a worldview issue. Walk with integrity. And that's a lot of what we talk about at Authentic Intimacy is discipleship is the overflow of a life. And so um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if you interview my kids 10, 20 years from now, they're not going to be as impacted by what I teach as they were by what they witnessed in my life. Wow. That is a sentence right there. Yeah. Even when it comes to the topic yeah. of sexuality, yeah. you think? Yeah. So what would it be an example of that? I, like, you what? know, they've never read my books and they may never because it's kind we're of, we're okay with yeah, that. Yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> like my mom writes books on sex, but they live with me and they know my heart. They've seen uh, my relationship with the Lord. They've seen my marriage. They've seen my sin. They've seen me confess my sin. They've seen me cry. They've seen me laugh. If I have impacted their life, it's going to be because of who they saw that I was. Mm. Not because of what they heard me teach. Wow. Which is, I mean, that is like the definition of a paradigm shift when we're talking about how we teach our kids about sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why at Authentic Intimacy, like when moms will say, where do we start? How do I start talking to my kids about sex? You know, the first place is, what does this look like in your life? 
Are there wounds that you've been hiding that need to be addressed and healed? Is there bitterness towards God, towards your husband? Because it's the overflow of a life. And even if you never sit down and have this detailed conversation about your own sex life with your kids, which you probably won't, there's an essence of who you are, including in your sexuality, in your gender, and your kids know whether you're the real thing or not. Mm. Wow. So that's, I would call it a guidepost. I, I like it. Which is interesting because all the guideposts you've given so far are not actually about words we're saying to our kids no. yet. No, no. Which is surprising to okay. me. I don't yeah. know why I should know this, but... Yeah. Yeah, I think we want to start with, like, what book do I walk with them mm -hmm. in? And I, I can give you titles of books that lay out God's design for sex. And, you know, those sort of things are helpful conversation starters. But I, again, don't think that I've ever met somebody who said the book my parent gave me when I was 10. No, not at all. Convinced me. Yeah. Or the youth group conference I sat through convinced me. It's always the way I saw somebody live. It's always how God intersected in my life. When this happened, it's like you said, it's the change of a heart. Right. And so we create an environment that promotes that change of heart, that authenticity, that kind of conversation. So I'll give you one more guidepost. Give it to me. And it's a tough one. The other ones were so easy. I know, I know. This is why I can never write a book on this. You'd never want to buy it, right? It's like, no, this is too hard. Um, but this is really key. What happens when they fail? Okay, so what happens when my kids fail mm -hmm. in the area of sexuality? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, what why happens, is this a guidepost? What happens when they question? What happens when they do look at porn? What happens when they do make a bad decision related to their sexuality. This is really key. And I wrote a blog a couple years ago. I think it was called It's Not If But When. And part of it, again, is recognizing the culture that we live in and how it's impacting how our kids think about sex and how they've been impacted by pornography and just the whole cultural narrative of sex. Your kids are sexually broken. My kids are sexually broken they will venture into these arenas. Not my Harvey. There's no way. It's just so cute. Not, don't think about it yet. He's, no he's only two. He's only two. <laughs> um, now, everybody's journey looks different, and there, right. there are people that, even as young adults and teenagers, are really committed and say, I want to have purity in the relationships I have in dating relationships. I want to... Uh, bounce my eyes from pornography, you know, all the things that we teach. There are kids that are doing that, but they're the rare exception. And I would say even with them, they've got sexual brokenness and it comes out in different ways. But the question is, when we encounter that sexual brokenness, what is our reaction as parents? And this is the most difficult thing because, again, almost every parent is going to have this occurrence where you discover pornography on the cell phone or right is going to have you're going to be faced with this yes maybe once maybe yeah. frequently yeah and if you're not faced with it chances are there are things going on that you don't know about you're the 90 percent yeah who doesn't know right mm -hmm. and so when something like that happens 
there are two different reactions. The natural reaction is, how could this have happened? I failed as a parent. How do I shame my kid out of ever doing this again? Anger, disgust, fear, blah. Yeah, it's that's, like putting your dog's nose in the right poop on the carpet. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's where we all want to go. Yeah, but what I've discovered is that that is actually the point of the gospel of when we sin, when we're caught in our sin, when we admit our brokenness, when we admit our failure. What if Jesus? That was his response to us. Anger, disgust. I'm going to shame you out of this. Nose pointing. Yeah. Would any of us come to him? No. No. Nor is that, I mean, wow, that's a really great question. Because that is not how Jesus interacts with me in my sin. No. So what does that mean as a mom? What's that second option? Well, it means that the greatest opportunity to disciple my kids and to show them the gospel is in the moment of failure. And it it might not even be sexual failure. It may be a different kind of failure. But sexuality for many of us and for many of our kids, this is a a big area. And it might not just be a one event. It may be, Mom, I think I'm gay. You fill in the blank with the things that kids are wrestling with today. The question becomes, how can I be Jesus Christ to my child right now in this moment? And again, many of us fail in that exact moment because our flesh takes over, our fear takes over. But as we're walking this out, can I remember that the gospel is more important than behavior management? That is a very challenging sentence. Yes. Say it again. (laughs) Because as a parent, I don't know, it's easy to to lose sight of that. Yeah, it is. And uh, when we talk about what it is to be a Christ follower... And how Jesus says, you take up your cross every day and you follow me. I think it's been cliche so much that we don't realize the real life situations where we have to walk this out. Mm. Because, you know, let's say that I referenced in the email that I read this morning about a mom who has a transgender son. Yes. Christian family. What is everyone in that family's church saying about this child? What are the extended family members who are Christians saying about this family, about how they're parenting? It's judgment. It's simplistic oh, I advice. Hear the conversations. Yeah. yeah. So, what does it look like for this mom to take up her cross and follow Jesus and be the gospel to her child mm-hmm. every day, to surrender her own desires for her son to the Lord? to love him without an agenda, to love him with truth and love. It just, it's so complicated, but that's discipleship. I mean, that is following Christ in our home. Mm. And so when we talk about these issues of sexuality in our kids, they hit so close to our core that there's no easy answer. And the people that want to give us easy answers, at first we want that easy answer, but then we're like, Doesn't it doesn't work work. okay so this last guidepost is putting a question in me then okay so what's the goal Mm -hmm. like what is the goal of addressing sexuality with my kids or sexual discipleship with our kids because 
I don't know. I think if you would have asked me this question even maybe five years ago, like what would a parent, a Christian parent's goal be mm-hmm. with sexuality? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I would have said avoiding a sexual downfall for my kids. Mm-hmm. But your third guidepost <laughs> is essentially saying when the sexual downfall happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What would you say to a parent of what what's the goal if it's not keeping them sexually pure or upright? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, or is that the goal? I like that goal. I wish that could be the goal, and I wish that that were an attainable goal. But it's not because, first of all, like we've talked about at Authentic Intimacy, everybody's sexually broken. Right. And even those who live by the purity narrative, like when they, when they start doing some life, they're like, my view of sex is really messed up. Mm. And my view of shame and God, it's really messed up. But also... I can't make choices for another person. Even when they're your kids. No, you can't. You're right. You can't. You can make choices that impact your kids. And you do make choices that impact your kids. And so the goal of all discipleship comes right out of the Great Commission. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so first and foremost, I want to follow Christ with all my heart, with all my soul. I, I want him to be my number one. I want to be faithful, I want to be prayerful, and I want to compel my kids. Follow me. You know, God is good. Everything in him is good. And as Deuteronomy says, I want to talk about that all the time. I want to integrate it into our relationship and our conversation. Not, let's just sit down and read this book together, but out of the overflow of who I am and who God is in me, I want that to overflow onto my kids. But the goal has to be about my faithfulness to follow the Lord. It can't be about my kid's faithfulness to follow the Lord, or I'm going to drive myself crazy. Which is probably why so many of us feel like we're going crazy yeah. when it comes to that with parenting. Yeah. If you want to drive yourself crazy, give yourself a goal that you have no control over. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the definition of it. Yes. Yeah. I think it's tempting to do that, though, as a parent, Julie. I mean, in every area of life, and probably especially if men and women, which is many of us slash all of us who have experienced a brokenness or a pain around sexuality, mm-hmm. we almost even try to double down for our kids to avoid that. We do. It's really true. And uh, yeah, I think traditionally issues of sexuality have been kind of the litmus test of how good a parent you are. Oh, yes. And this is like, I have friends whose, parent, whose kids are getting divorced. I, you know, it goes on and on. I have friends who have grandchildren that are struggling with these issues. And if we're constantly measuring the effectiveness of our parenting based on our kids' choices, including their sexual choices, we then again get into that either I'm all good or I'm all bad. Either I've done everything right and I'm a proud person or I've failed miserably and I hate myself. And... You just don't find that in the gospel. And uh, unfortunately, you see so many examples of godly, godly men and women in the scripture who had kids that didn't follow the Lord. Mm. I hate that. I wish it were different. But you look at Samuel, you look at David, you know, you look at Hezekiah, and, um, and we do what we can to 
model an authentic life of being a Christ follower. We teach them faithfully. We raise them up, as the scripture says, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We teach them about God. But there comes a point where this is between them and the Lord. And my focus has to be on how do I stay faithful? Well, I know that this topic is one that you have been avoiding in a way. Yeah. And one that you opened with saying this is really hard. But it's really good, Julie. Does it help you? I mean, does it discourage you? I mean, again, my baby's so young. (laughs) But these questions and just the way you're even shifting this thought around parenting and around sexuality and parenting are thoughts that I haven't had. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. It's hard. It's what we said. It's good and bad news at the same time. Like mm-hmm. it's hard news, but it does give you a freedom to lean into when you're saying this beauty of it's back on the gospel, not mm-hmm. on having to like do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's good news. Yeah, it is. It's just hard because as a parent, you're so, you love your child so much Mm -hmm. that you just want to do everything you can to like do it right and save them from pain, you know? You do, but you don't love them more than God loves them. And we have to trust his ways. And that's hard to do it's really hard to do and that's spoken from a mom who you've had to come up against that even with your own boys yeah every parent has again if we're telling the truth if we're honest there are things that you want to spare your children from that you can't right but god will have his way and i have to trust that and i have to keep my eyes on being faithful with my walk with him Well, that's probably not what you are looking for in terms of advice on how to help your kids remain pure or avoid sexual sin. But I think this is a necessary message for us to really digest. The truth is, as a parent, your job is not simply to prevent your child from ever making mistakes. Your job is to guide them through their struggles and to encourage them to know and love Jesus. We actually did a blog series on talking to your kids about sex back in May. So I've linked to those three blog posts in our show notes. Also, if you missed Monday's episode with Kelly Urban, I really recommend that you go back and listen to it. Kelly exemplifies a lot of what we discussed in this conversation and really encourages parents to lean into allowing God to do things his way in our kids' lives. Well, that's all I have for now. And thanks so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you next time on Java with Julie.